Master the row, hear him. Welcome to Muster the Bro Hiram, a podcast about Middle-earth and all things Tolkien. Currently, we are discussing Amazon's The Rings of Power. I am here today with my co-host, Josh. Hey there, everyone. How are we doing today? uh, I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk this episode because I think we're going to have some differing opinions this time around. Mm, That last episode, we were talking about how we were kind of very much in agreement, so I think it's going to make for an interesting conversation today. Well, I can't make for a bad one, that's for sure. So yeah, looking forward to that. And man, we are cranking out these episodes. We've finally caught up uh, with the actual release schedule. I think we were behind a little bit, but now we are, uh, we are currently recording right after uh, the premiere of the last episode. Yeah, it's exciting. We're all caught up now that first week with two episodes I think kind of threw us for a loop there and we were able to get together a little bit extra and and get caught up so I'm really excited that now our content is very fresh yeah for sure and I really enjoy uh recording these episodes with you you know shortly after or right after the episode premiere and then especially since we've not really had a chance to discuss them at all so it it keeps our uh, our conversation very random and like we're not prepared at all, right? Because this is just a conversation between friends. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, we're just coming into this after seeing the episode. Nothing too um, crazy. Yeah, not a chance to do research or anything like that. Not that we don't prepare for the show, but I mean, just from the standpoint of uh, we, you get our very um, on unfiltered opinion today (laughs) for sure for sure all right well uh let's uh charge into the episode here we'll take a quick break and we'll come right back with uh episode five of the rings of power partings here we go We're back charging into episode five of the Rings of Power partings. Nick, um, I think that uh, we definitely have some differing opinions about some of the elements of episode five. So I'm excited to get into that. But I think we're just going to have to start from the, the top and then get to that when we get to that. Just like we usually do from the top. That's through. right. And uh, we'll, we'll go through the episode, give you our feedback, our analysis, uh, and just talk about each one as we go. And I'm sure as soon as we get to some of those more controversial ones, we can uh, explore that maybe a little bit more in depth. Yeah, absolutely. So we start off, uh, we get to see the Harfoots again and the stranger. Um, I know that you had kind of lamented that we missed out on that last episode. Yeah. Uh, so we yeah. get to start episode five uh, with the Harfoots. Which is great. I'm super excited to see them uh, back on the screen here again. And like there was just, uh, you know, there's a lot going on there and we got to figure out what's going on with the stranger. And I love this dynamic with Nori and Poppy and the whole family and kind of exploring this uh, Harford culture. So it was fun to see them again. And I really, really enjoyed 
uh, this opening sequence with the Harfoots. Yeah, definitely. So we kind of get to see Nori teaching the stranger their language and, you know, he's kind of learning and he, he kind of um, refers to himself as a peril. Yeah. And she goes, no, you're good, you know, but I, I kind of wondered, is that a foreshadowing of, of what we're going to see this character become? Yeah, yeah, because Nori, like you said, you know, she's talking about the perils of their of their migrating, right? She's explaining where they go during the different seasons and, and how he's going to like this place that they're going. But very much a relationship is uh, cultivating between Nori and the stranger, almost kind of like, you know, she's teaching him how to live in Middle Earth. And, um, and she's explaining all these perils that they go through. And yeah, he, he says he's one of them, right? And then he, he very specifically says, talks about the fireflies and how they died. Yeah. So he kind of thinks, oh, I, I killed those off. So I'm probably a peril because, yeah. because of that. But she kind of reassures him like, no, you're good. You've helped us. If it wasn't for you, we'd be you know, behind or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting though, that like he kind of considers himself that. So that will be uh, something that we'll kind of need to pay attention to. How, yeah. We'll see how, we'll see how that shakes out here. Yeah, um, for sure. And then they kind of continue on, right? So they get all together. And I love, like, the look of the Harfoots, how they 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 take their trailers, and not only their trailers, but themselves, and they kind of blend themselves into the landscape of wherever they're at. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you notice during this whole opening sequence when they're, when they're migrating and traveling, like, what they put on their heads and what they, like, um, almost camouflage their, their – uh, their wagon with it changes according to where they're at and it's just a fun thing to watch and i really really enjoyed it yep kind of just fits right along with their skill of being able to kind of avoid to being seen right i really like that that's fun and the other thing that i really liked is is we got to kind of see some of the hobbit culture or harfoot culture um with puppy's mom's traveling song oh i love this song i thought it was yeah. awesome I really liked it too. One of the things um, you probably noticed it as well, but she made, you know, not all those who wander are lost, like made that, made that statement kind of in that. And um, obviously I think that's a a direct relation to um, Bilbo's penning of uh, his, his rhyme or his poem about Aragorn. Yeah. uh, Where, you know, not all those who wander are lost and it's very similar to that. So, you know, um, I could see where, where they were taking that as a relation and because, you know, Poppy and them, they actually existed long before Bilbo did. Um, it kind of makes sense that Bilbo would have an idea to use something like that in his, in his poem, you know, thousands of years later. So I don't know. I like the relationship of it. I did too. I really, really enjoyed the song and yeah, that, that definitely stood out to me, you know, not all who wonder are lost. And, and I just, I love that poem that Bilbo writes about the Dunedain and um, yeah. it's just, yeah, it was great. I really, really liked that. And I liked how they, in the, in the filming of it, they kind of overshadowed like the map kind of cutting in between, you know, where the Harfoots are at and then showing mm-hmm. a map as they're traveling along, clearly making their way to their next uh, migration. Yeah, absolutely. I will say there's, there's a lot there that I didn't recognize in that map. Um, I don't know about you, but um, there are certain parts where it's like, oh, like, okay, are they, you know, they're kind of going by like, uh, 
the M and the wheel or behind it. And then, um, you know, by the, by where you would have found the dead marshes in the third age. Um, and it showed them in some marshes and stuff. The thing is, is that technically they weren't marshes back then. They weren't, they didn't right. become marshes till after the, that battle. But, um, you know, still there's maybe some similarities of kind of where they're heading and going. Uh, she made sure. reference to the old forest, uh, definitely not the old forest that we know that is, you know, just, uh, by Hobbiton, but maybe it's Fangorn or something like maybe that. Maybe it's I Fangorn. Don't know. Yeah. 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 I was kind of thinking Fangorn as well. Um, yeah, but it was cool. I mean, along the way, we definitely saw some, uh, some abandoned wagons, you know, from the Harfoots and, you know, these are probably some of those individuals that, that didn't keep up and mm -hmm. fell behind in the caravan. Yes. So like they're, they're keeping along you. the same path, right? They're staying yep. on the same path. So you're seeing some of the remnants of the last migration and probably some of the, the Harfoots that didn't make it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting, but uh, definitely an enjoyable scene nonetheless. So great start to episode five. Yes. And I think the next uh, scene that we go to is the one where we get like a lot of questions like, Oh my goodness, what is this? And um, mm -hmm. we, we are back to where the meteor struck, where the stranger arrived at. And we have some sinister music certainly playing in the background. And then we get our first look um, at the, the character that we see in the trailer. I think it was widely speculated that this character was Anatar, possibly Sauron. Um, so we have maybe another contender for that, uh, that, that position so currently there's some speculation around the stranger there's speculation mm -hmm. around adar and now we have uh this other character um showing up and yes. so in the in the credits josh it actually tells us who these characters are we yes. have the dweller the nomad and the uh, uh i'm gonna is the, ascetic? The, the ascetic yes yeah and so it, it was very interesting. Clearly the dweller being the blonde haired um, individual who kind of magically like, like gets down to that, that crater. Yeah. Yeah. It has what like did, her hand. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I think maybe there's some kind of like evil cultists that maybe worship Sauron or worship Morgoth or something like that. And then maybe they're, they're looking for them. You know, she has that staff that kind of is reminiscent of like an eye of Sauron yeah, type kind of thing. So I don't know. I mean, I don't. So one of the things that um, I fully expect in this series is that when we are introduced to Sauron, I think he's going to look quite beautiful because, you know, they talk about how he's the beautiful servant. He right. put on a beautiful appearance to, um, deceive the elves even mm -hmm. um you know kind of showing up as anatar and so none of these characters have really fit that bill for me yet where it's like yep that's that's sauron because none of them have come across as being fair but feeling foul mm -hmm. as samwise would put it yeah for sure or was that frodo i have a feeling if he was uh, a servant of the enemy he would look fairer and feel fouler Right, that, it's Frodo, Frodo when they're when they're talking about Aragorn. So. Aragorn, yeah, yeah. So I think that that moniker is going to be true when we meet Sauron for the first time. Sure. So some interesting stuff about this. Um, 
I did read an article uh, with the show creators that talk about these three, and they are actually from the East, hailing from Rune, which we oh, know sure. was an Easterling, you know, um, group of people in yep. were in servants of Sauron. Yep. Yes. So it's interesting to actually hear from, you know, some, some of the show creators about these individuals and that they are um, indeed from the East. Yep. And then I was curious too. The last thing I had was I was curious about, about this, uh, these characters and the ascetic. So I looked up, what does that actually mean? And I thought it was, uh, you know, cause I just had no idea, but it's a, it's a person uh, that is in, has severe self-discipline, right? They're abstaining yep. from all self-indulgent. And this is typically related to, you know, like religious reasons. Yes. So yep. interesting names, the dweller, the ascetic, and the nomad. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing these characters kind of um, expand and get to learn a bit, little bit more about them because they're certainly intriguing. Yeah, I definitely agree. They have wrapped them in mystery. That's for sure. Oh, for sure. And clearly looking for the stranger. Mm-hmm. Like almost following the falling star, right? And now they've found where it hits. So like the, they're on the path. They are searching for this stranger, which adds yeah. another element of, of interest. And maybe, you know, maybe a little bit more of a a nod towards your original speculation, could this possibly be Sauron? Right. Yeah, maybe maybe it is. And, you know, I didn't really take much stock into this, but I remember back when, like, the trailers were out and people were just lots of speculation talking about um, different elements of the show and what possibly would be. I do remember someone saying that it's possible that Sauron will show up not remembering who he is. Oh, sure. And... And so, you know, when I look at the stranger and I think about, you know, hearing that going, yeah, I could, I could see where they would do something like that. I personally hope that it's not like, I really want it to end up being like a blue wizard or something like that, but we'll see. It's, it's rather interesting. Right. Yeah, for sure. So we move on to that and then we get to see Adar again. Yes. Uh, kind of conversing with one of his orcs and um, standing in the sunlight. Yeah. Adar standing in the sunlight, kind of soaking it up and starts talking about how he's going to miss the sun. Yeah. Or, you know, you know, and then tells them to some of the legions. And so, uh, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, where they are, um, if, you know, the like maybe mountain doom erupting or something and covering mm-hmm. that area in clouds so that the sun is is darkened out and the orcs could basically just have free reign over that area. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think there's definitely some plans there, right? Like he's talked about creating a new world uh, for the orcs. And so, you know, definitely knows that he can't have this land for the orcs if, if the sun is still shining. So, you know, he's, de- he's going to miss it because he's got to right. figure out a way to get rid of it. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So that's uh, kind of an interesting piece there. Definitely some foreshadowing about what we're going to see in the future, I think. Yeah. Yep. No, I think, uh, I think you're right there. And and then we kind of stay in uh, the Southlands and jump over to Bronwyn 
when she's trying to, to rally the townsfolk or the people of the Southlands, um, knowing that some kind of attack is coming because they don't want to pledge their fealty to the orcs or to Adar. Right. Uh, we found out that that's kind of what their requirement was in order to survive is basically submit to his rule and serve him. And, uh, you know, she kind of makes a comment about like, I know I'm not your king, but this is all we got at the moment. And, and we kind of need to stand strong and we can defend and um, ends up not being super successful, maybe like a 50% yeah. success rate. <laughs> well, I, I think like, you know, at least it, from how it appeared, uh, everybody was like kind of, you know, boosted by that speech from Bronwyn until, you know, Waldreg begins talking yeah. and we all know where Waldreg stands uh, from the yep. previous episode and his affiliation or desire to serve Sauron, um, you know, so he, you know, chimes in there as well, talking about how they're all going to die and that he would rather um, bow before the the servants of Sauron or Sauron himself mm -hmm. than, than die here in this tower. So, you know, he, he does then kind of take his own half and they, they march out of the tower at that point, leaving half of the Southlanders there with Bronwyn, Theo, and Arendir. And he does call to Theo as he's marching out of the gate, right? Like, this is our chance. Yeah. Let's go. Um, but we do find out later that Theo doesn't go. Right. Yeah, so he decides to stay. Which, you know, that's good. I'm glad. I kind of saw Theo early on as possibly be one one of those like easily swayed and naive bad guys, if you will. Like he becomes yeah. evil because he's just young and stupid, right? Um, but he didn't go with him, so that that actually made me happy. Yeah, no, good scene. Um, mm -hmm. Really, I just enjoy anything that has to do with the Southlands. That's clearly where all the action is kind of happening, and where I think we'll see. Uh, a, a large convergence. So yeah, it's yep, good. Definitely. And then we're uh, jumping into Numenor at this point and preparations for the expedition are taking place. You know, they're getting ready to go to middle earth. Yep. Yeah. So um, they're making preparations. Isildur obviously uh, is not chosen to go at this point in time. Yeah. And shocking. Right. Like, like he's said about he's, it petitioning his father and he's not on the list right and basically his father's like yeah well what are you like how have you served Numenor right. um, because you haven't you know I'm like are you a member of the sea guard are you like what what standing do you have for me to take you along yeah and he kind of you know he still kind of made this bed so yeah he makes a comment to him like you know you're called to the west because that's what Isildur has said to his father, right? Mm -hmm. So interesting that he kind of throws that back in his face and there's a little bit of a contention there between father and son and maybe what uh, Elendil thinks is, is best for his son uh, versus what Isildur is calling or being called to do. Yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting. But uh, also kind of shows just you know, the character that Elendil expects from his sons too, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that's, that's good. He's not just, you know, being handed a silver spoon. He has to work for what he's going to get. 
Yeah, which is a good thing, right? Because his his friends very clearly seem to have that opinion of him. Like he only right. has gotten to the place that he's gotten, including like his post on the ship trying to make the Sea Guard because of his father and not because of himself. And that, you know, leaving the Sea Guard doesn't matter because he'll just go on to the next thing. So right. yeah, there's there there's clearly a lot of uh, development that needs to happen with his Sealdor, and and we're kind of seeing that flush out here. Oh, for sure. Very, very good. So then we, we get that, and then we get a quick kind of snippet with um, Irion and Kemen, and it, it seems to me that they are both kind of anti-war. Like, mm-hmm. no, Numenor shouldn't go to, to Middle-earth to fight this battle, um, and Irion wants Kemen to convince Farazan to basically kind of help delay this, this um, impending battle right yep and she tells him specifically to speak louder because he says he's trying to talk to his father and she's just encouraging him to speak louder so this is this is an interesting uh you know these these two made-up characters again which i think they are clearly going to serve a purpose in the show as far as like advancing the storyline and and um it's just it, it, it's fleshing it out a little bit. I started off not yeah. caring about these two characters or what they were doing. It just wasn't very interesting to now there's a little bit of a dynamic uh, behind the relationship and we got to kind of explore what happens with that. Right. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I'm still not super excited about them. I don't okay. really understand why they don't want to go to war. Like why they are so fearful about such a thing. I mean, it's, I, it, it just seems rather unconsequential when you think about the might and glory of Numenor at the moment that they're, you know, they're sending 500 troops to basically go meet up with the Southlands and help them real quick. Like, it's not like they're sending this massive battle host to go fight Sauron or whatever. They don't even know who or where Sauron is at this point, right? So, sure. Uh, maybe they know who Sauron is, but they don't know where he is or if he's even involved with with what's going on with the orcs and such and i don't know it just seems really weird they didn't really flesh out to me why they're so against this okay uh, unless i'm missing something but it just seems kind of weird like they just seem like a couple numenorian hippies that don't like war like i don't <laughs> yes yeah you could be right i i don't recall any specific reasons either but um we definitely find out a little bit later in the episode maybe some underlying reasons why Farazan is not so opposed to what's happening, but we will, uh, we will get to that soon. Yeah, absolutely. But then, uh, then we're, we're sticking around in Numenor here and we have Halbrand. He's forging a sword. He's, he's, he's made his, uh, his guild crest and clearly received it from his, uh, you know, letting Farazan know where Galadriel was going. Right. Yeah. He basically kind of sold Galadriel a little bit. So yep. that he could get a, a guild badge. And it's clear that he still has no intention of leaving Numenor. He's like, yep, I'm going to make a new life for myself here in Numenor. I'm going to like it. Um, but uh, Gladriel isn't having that, that's for sure. Right. So, yeah, he's not, he's not wanting to go back to Middle-earth. He wants to stay here and, and you know, got to find out a reason why. Like, we know that he was chased from his land by his lands by orcs, but... Haven't haven't gotten more much more detail outside of that. Yeah, he does allude to the fact that you know if if you knew what I did, if if my people yeah. knew what I did, 
they wouldn't have me. And it's like, okay, so what exactly went on? What did you guys do? You know? Right. Clearly Halbrand is Sauron. That's basically, that's basically <laughs> it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not going to subscribe to that one at all. That's a, it's total no for me. But... Yeah. No, I'm just messing around. Yeah. Um, yep. So then we have a, a small council meeting. We've got Galadriel and Muriel talking about the Southlands and Halbred joins into this council to kind of explain where the orcs are at and, you know, what they need to do to get to where he knows that they were. Right. So mm-hmm. sharing it, sharing his information uh, with the small council so that they can prepare for their expedition. Yep. Yeah. So we kind of get that a little bit. And, yep. and from there, um, Ferrazan takes that information off to, to let the sea guard know or whatever. And right. we are back to the Harfoots, are we not? Yeah, but before he does that, there's a, another comment, which, you know, is just reinforces what we've been saying and what we've been shown about Halbrad is that, you know, he, Halbrand, I'm sorry, um, tells Galadriel, find a new head to crown. Because That's she's right, kind yeah. of hinging all of this, uh, this, this whole expedition on him and Numenor backing him to unite the Southlands. And he, he wants right. no part of it. Right, yeah, and as a matter of fact, if I remember correctly, Muriel is, doesn't even realize that Halbrand doesn't want this position of, of king, that Galadriel's right. kind of pulling the strings on both sides, trying to, to use him uh, to get back to Middle-earth um, right. with this promise that, you know, Muriel, Queen Regent, if you support him, he will reunite the Southlands, you'll have this strong ally in Middle-earth, um, so on and so forth, blah, 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 blah. And in all reality, Galadriel's not really um, being forthright on that. So it's well established that Helbrand does not want to go back to the Southlands. And from there, uh, we jump back to the Harfoots, Nick. Yes, here we go again. Back to the fun of the Harfoots. And they are uh, traveling through the, some spooky woods. Yes. I really like, um, was it Poppy? She said, she made a comment about like what madness drove us here. Very <laughs> reminiscent of Gimli going into Fagor and like what madness drove me here. Oh, I, nice. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it almost makes you wonder if they are in Fangorn and they were trying to draw a parallel there, but mm-hmm. if they did, that's awesome. If not, eh, it's still Well, fun. Fangorn, I don't think would have been that dilapidated. Yeah. Not yet. Right. Because it just kind of doesn't fall until later on, but but with wolves back and, you know, clearly seeing that, um, you know, the, the decay, if you will, is rising from the south, I guess it certainly is possible. Well, yeah, not in Fangorn, though. I mean, Fangorn still, I guess Fangorn was bigger at one point in time, so maybe part of it, I don't know. But I don't think that they're quite there yet. Um, they would just got, didn't they like just get out of the marshlands and stuff or? Yeah, but I mean, yeah, according so to that map, far. they were they're moving pretty quick across countries. So, yeah, that's valid. A little bit yeah, of time know. jump, perhaps. Yeah, but yeah, so th- that's where they are. You see the wild tracks, so you know, like the wolves are around. Yeah, um, and then Sadok and Melva and Vilma, they're they're talking about getting rid of the stranger and <laughs> taking the wheels uh, and leaving leaving uh, Nori and their family. Ooh, that's ice. Pretty cold. harsh. <laughs> right. Gonna take your wheels and leave you stranded and you'll just die. Yeah, we wait for you, my butt. 
<laughs> I know it's it's pretty brutal. I mean, oh, well, it doesn't seem like they're going to do it. Sadak clearly doesn't like this idea of taking their wheels. So, right, yeah, he's I a guess. little bit, a little bit nicer than than uh, her. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then we see uh, Melba kind of gathering mushrooms. You know, we all know how much uh, hobbits enjoy their mushrooms, and clearly the Harfoots are. Are, are no stranger to that same taste. Um, so gathering really? some mushrooms off the trees yep. and, you know, here come the wolves. And Poppy and Nori are there to tell her about the, the wolf tracks. And then yep. here they come. Yep. Here they come and they think that they're basically going to get eaten. Like they're kind of hiding by that tree and, and they're coming right at them. And then like at the last minute, the, stranger jumps in and just chucks the wolf like right Gra- grabs it out of out of thin air right before it's about to just maul um nori and tosses it away like it's nothing yep <laughs> it was pretty cool and then we get to see some more um some more powers manifesting from the stranger where he just slams his fist down against these three wolves that are surrounding them and they just get blown back. Yep. It's pretty cool yeah. to see. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Um, and, and then you kind of see that he hurts himself, right? So like he exerts yeah. this power and then I don't know, maybe he's, he's learning about his body himself. Like, Oh, Hey, like I, I can hurt myself in this, in this form, which kind of yeah. makes me think a uh, wizard. Yep. Yep. Kind of keeping on that path. Right. So yeah. It's interesting. I, I like what you said though, about learning about his body. Like this is different, right? So he's mm-hmm. not, he's not used to maybe being this like frail meat sack and it's, <laughs> it's something new that he has to kind of explore and learn. Yeah, Absolutely. Clear, and also clearly uh, by means of communication, right? Where we already uh, talked about, you know, Nori, Nori is teaching him how to talk and speak their language and communicate. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. uh, very interesting how every time he exerts his powers, something seems to happen, right? So he passed out when he was getting the fireflies to create the con- what we, you know, assume was a star constellation. Um, mm-hmm. And then... And then he hurts himself when he blasts these wolves away. But yep. very, very interesting. But a fun scene. I enjoyed it. Yeah, for sure. I, I really thought that that was really cool. Because I feel like we're starting to really get some hints as to who is the stranger or what is the stranger. Yeah. And I am a much bigger fan of the design aesthetic for the wolves versus the wargs. I'm just still a little irritated by the crazy-eyed warg. But... Yeah, the wily coyote look. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> a great example. Yeah, but that's okay. Um, we can we can keep moving on from this. I think we've covered that scene. Uh, mm-hmm. Now we're back in Numenor, and yep. we've got we've got the Numenorean uh, soldiers that are joining the expedition. The volunteers practicing in the streets. Yep, practicing their sword fights, and so you know we get that kind of uh I don't, I don't even want to how, how do i how do i even put this it's well go a ahead, very run-of-the-mill like sword scene that we see in like yeah. every medieval action uh movie or show 
right? Like some kind of sword practicing where if, if they were actually spinning around with the force that they were, like someone's head was going to get chopped off. <laughs> right. It was a cool scene though. I mean, Galadriel shows up and says, you know, the, the, they have no experience fighting what they're going to be going to fight. And so Elendil encourages her, we'll go teach them. So right. we get this really fun uh, fight scene, choreographed fight scene between Galadriel and all of these recruits, essentially, yeah. where she takes them all on. Um, really, really fun scene, fun to watch. I enjoyed the music and like the, the sword play that happened throughout the whole thing. How about you, Josh? Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. You know, she kind of definitely... I taught him some stuff about just kind of being agile and focusing on your balance and, and less on just straight up power, but, you know, being able to avoid blows and, and, and so on. It was very elvish of her, uh, yeah. the way that she taught, which was cool. It was. Um, it was, it was definitely fun to see. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed that. Lots of uh, um, good tactics there t- telling them how to fight. So it was good. Fight like an elf. Yeah, essentially. And then we get a, a fun little scene where Halbrand uh, picks up a sword off the ground and clearly knows how to handle a sword himself from that. And even Galadriel takes note of it. Right. Yeah. Um, very, very interesting. I mean, I think it just kind of furthers Galadriel's point and her belief in him that he is right. a lot more than he says he is. Yep. And uh, kind of just leaves it at that. He kind of just shrugs it off like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. And then we finally have a reveal at this point, right? We mm-hmm. we finally know what Farazan's plans were. Yep. And why he isn't so against um, joining the elf on a crusade to Middle-earth. Yeah, I mean, he's, he essentially sees Numenor, Numenor as an empire. Like, they're going to expand into Middle-earth. Um, those kings are going to be loyal to Numenor. They're going to pay tribute. They're going to open up lines of trade. And uh, he even makes the comment that, you know, by the time this is all, it all is over, elves will be taking orders from us. Right. Yeah, definitely has some grand plans there, right? Because, you know, once they um, place this king on the throne of the Southlands and and Middle-earth, then uh, they'll be in debt to Numenor. So, right. Which is yeah. rather interesting. I mean, obviously, we're, we're dealing with a very compressed timeline here to get everything that we want to get in, in a, uh, the, essentially a, the lifespan of men, right? Um, but Numenor was kind of an empire, um, even probably before these events. Um, they, they had multiple times where they, they went to Middle-earth and they, they taught the men, the common men in Middle-earth, and traded with them and such, and um, you know, there was a point in time where I, I, I feel like I remember it talking about how, you know, the common men of Middle Earth almost viewed the Numenorians like, like almost like gods. Like they they came with this skill, and and they taught, and they were they were very um, magnanimous in a way. And mm-hmm. as Numenor declined, they became more of a conqueror, more of um, kind of almost. Uh, almost not quite enslaving, but like you're an overlord to Numenor. Right. Right. So yeah. An overlord. Yeah. That's a good, good word. Maybe a good uh, comparison to ancient Rome, right? They would go and they would conquer. They would make the population subservient to them, not slaves, but you know, 
they could be part of the empire as long as they contributed, but right. never yeah. the same. Right. And, and, you know, they were going to collect their dues, their taxes, their, their tributes, whatever. And so it's, it's kind of interesting to kind of see all of that having to play out in such a short amount of time. Right. Yeah. Well, that's okay. I think it's uh, still going to be a, a good thing. So yep. um, cool to see. We now know what Farazan's plans are. And then the last part here in Numenor, we had Muriel having a discussion with her father. Uh, yep. Tar Palantir. And he's like and, out of and, bed. Yeah. Yeah. Up and walking around, right? He went from like seemingly this frail old man who can like barely talk or move. Bed. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. To like standing up and be like, you can't go to Middle Earth. Like yeah. only darkness is there for you. Yeah. That was really interesting, right? Like almost like uh, foretelling what, what is going to happen. Yep. More prophecy from Tar Palantir. Yep, and I mean, that's basically what his name means. He's, you know, a farseer, and he right. had that gift. So, rather yeah. interesting. I definitely, and, and I'm sure she does take his opinion with some weight, but if I were her, I, I, might, I might take a little more weight in that opinion than, than others. Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess we'll see uh, how that one plays out. But I think this is a, a good place to take our, our first break here. Uh, mm -hmm. about halfway through the episode and darkness awaits so we <laughs> we will be back right after this and we're back to continue our review of episode five partings josh how's it going it's going really well. I'm getting excited for some of the conversations coming up here because uh, we're going to get into some stuff where I think we're going to have uh, some good discussion. Yes. That way. <clears throat> yes. I'm eagerly awaiting where maybe we add some differences in thought on this episode and uh, getting yes. your perspective on some of these things. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, you know, just lose my mind here in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> not really it's not that bad <laughs> i sound so dramatic <clears throat> well that's okay a little drama never hurt anybody i guess not but before we get to all of that we have to finish up our little heart foots here because uh i think we left off uh middle earth is just darkness awaiting for the queen regent and then yes. we jump into the Harfoots. yes back to the Harfoots. Yes, they've taken quite the shine for the stranger after saving them from those wolves. Yeah, I guess it doesn't take much to impress them or get yourself, uh, you know, brought into their little culture. So they, they well, now I like mean, the stranger. I'd be really impressed with you, Nick, if you punched the ground and like a wave of energy came from it and scared a bunch of like mean, nasty critters away. So yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, really, if you just punched the ground and a big wave of power came out of it without scaring them. I'd be impressed so yeah, yeah I mean I could, I could see where the uh, Harfoots would be impressed by that and, you know also being saved from inevitable death I mean there's that too <laughs> right well apparently uh you know this guy's worth keeping around we should probably uh figure out some other ways of using him it's probably the thought process going through uh the elders of the Harfoots here yeah I definitely think that that might be the case right who so, knows? Uh, maybe they'll they'll even use him to help establish uh, 
a home base where they don't have to migrate from anymore. Like oh, maybe a, oh, oh, like a like a shire or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's handy to have around in a pinch, and we definitely know he's that. He's certainly handy to but, have around uh, in a pinch. And since they're you know compressing the whole storyline and in, in the number of years, I could see where they might do something like that. Just saying. Because it's like sure giving the Hobbits an origin story in a way. Oh, sure. Because we don't I really, really have like a the... lot of records on Hobbits. They just kind of know that they were nomadic up. people, right? Like, so we definitely even know that. Yep. Um, and there were like three different main um, families or, or descendants yep. of the Hobbits. So the yep. Harfoots being one of them. And I don't know. Yep. I hope they don't settle down too quick. I quite like this nomadic culture um that the Harfoots have and it's been a lot of fun to watch so yeah well we'll definitely see that's for sure well as even though we know he's handy to have around in a pinch clearly there are repercussions and we come come into this uh section here with um with the stranger with his hand in the water and yeah maybe like you know some kind of a prayer or talking chanting however you want to kind of take it right yeah yeah i think i saw someone translate what he was chanting um like it's something like restore or heal or something like that Ooh. which would make sense makes perfect sense um, because he's trying to to fix his arm after messing it up on the ground um but the interesting part i think is that he kind of just gets into this trance doesn't even notice that nori's there and right. she touches him and that ice spreads to her as he's trying to like heal his arm Right in the water and turning the water to ice all around his arm. Yeah, and then there seems to be like some kind of a connection that's made, right? Like she almost, I don't know, I kind of, you know, she gets, so she touches his arm. She's kind of getting frozen into his arm with him and a bit of a freak out moment. And then all of a sudden, boom, she's blown away from him. Yep. And there's like some flashing that happens, you know, we see the crater, we see, you know, him like kind of crashing down to earth again. And then like, I don't don't know, this is kind of where things turned a little bit for me. Like, Nori very much was scared, like almost made this connection with him, saw something or felt something and like has some fear. It, That's it, at least it came across like some fear from the stranger and you know this is kind of where maybe my theory of him being Gandalf or even you know your theory of him being a blue maybe this I mean this kind of detracts from that a little bit like is there some evil in him oh interesting so I, I could definitely see that like looking back at it and looking at her reaction I honestly kind of was just taking it at face value of, you know, I'd be pretty freaked out if I thought I was just going to lose my arm or maybe my entire life because I was freezing. Right. Um, watching, you know, my arm turn to ice. So I, there was that, but I could see that where like maybe she got some kind of connection sight into his brain or, or something. And yeah. it was like, it was almost like as if it was revealed to her, like who he is. And then she sees it. And that's rather Remember- interesting. Or maybe he's not good, like she's telling him, and he is yeah. a peril that yeah. now she knows. But and then that that the piece after that when like she kind she runs away, you know, she doesn't say anything to him and just runs away, and you almost get this like sinister look to him where the trees start kind of waving a little bit, and there's like you know kind of some uh, I don't know a little bit more spooky music playing, and he doesn't look happy. 
Yeah, I don't so. know. Interesting. I, that's a, a different take. I, I didn't pull that much from from that scene, but I definitely, you know, when you describe it like that, and I look back on it, I could definitely see that. So very interesting. Yeah, I mean, maybe we're being introduced to to Sauron. I don't know that I would like the idea of Sauron not realizing who he was when he first got back to Middle Earth, for whatever reason, falling from a comet or whatever, but you know, I mean, they could maybe make it work. We'll see. They could. I don't know. I think we're just getting, you know, you know, I could totally be reading into it, but, and maybe the writers are just that good that they're just providing a little bit of a tease. You know, you have the, uh, the three characters from the East uh, showing up, clearly looking for the stranger. And now mm-hmm. we have like, you know, maybe our first kind of sinister feeling, at least for me, I had the first sinister feeling from the stranger here <clears throat> between this interaction with him and Nori. So I don't know, I guess we'll see. We'll let it all play out. Yeah, absolutely. And there, I mean, what we do know for sure is that there's a lot of people that expect, you know, what what they saw that sign of the comet <clears throat> being a herald of bad news. Right. Yep. And then even uh, Waldreg make Waldreg makes a comment about it as well, right? The starfall. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So more to come on that. Well. Looking forward to the next episode to see how that plays out. But um, yeah, where where's mm-hmm. that take us to now, Josh? Takes us to Linden. Back to the capital of, of the high elves in Middle Earth. Yes. They're having dinner with Gilgalad, Durin, Elrond, Celebrimbor. Yep. Um, it's kind of the who's who of, of the elves and dwarves kind of hanging out together. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, there's definitely some distrust right now between Durin and Gilgalad, it seems. Right, right. Um, you know, Gilgalad's asking about the forges, how they're running ever brighter. And and uh, Durin kind of counters with like, well, you know, you're shipping warriors north, south, east, west, expanding your kingdom. One could kind of ask you the same question of like, what what's going on? What, what are you doing? Right. And then Durin kind of flips the script out script altogether and addresses the table asks where he got the table from (laughs) yes so we're laughing right but it's because we know how this whole interaction plays out right uh, right. yeah let's let's stay in the moment (laughs) yeah yeah so he's just like hey this is like a sacred stone like where did you get this like we reserve this for the monuments or tombs of our dead you know and yeah and so really just I definitely a tactic to really put Gilgalad on his back heels. And so mm-hmm. he's like, well, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that. We'll make sure to send it home with you uh, to make sure that uh, it, it gets treated properly. Right. And so we have some, some niceties there, right? Where uh, now Durin, mm-hmm. you know, kind of gives Gilgalad his, his, his doing says, okay, clearly, you know, you're acting honorably. Right. And, you know, the other thing is, in that in that whole exchange, Elrond kind of came to the defense of Durin a little bit too, right? You know, just kind of being <clears throat> saying, you know, in in dwarven years, like yeah, they're running ever brighter and advancing, but you know, to us it seems like it's happening so quickly, but to them it's it's maybe not because it takes us so long to do things. Right. And um, I feel like if I remember correctly, he was going to make kind of a crude joke. Uh, about how long oh. it takes the elves to do things <laughs> and then it gets cut off yeah 
Yeah. So, so I, yep. It definitely picked up on that. that. <laughs> Which one are you a fan of? Of of Elron possibly making that crass joke. Oh, okay. See, I, I, I just, like that. It just I enjoyed not it. very becoming to the elves, in my opinion. That's something a dwarf would say. Yeah. Maybe he was quoting quoting a dwarf. I don't know. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh. It was kind of funny, but um. Yeah, I'm all right with it. Definitely <laughs> pulling in the uh. You know, well, you know, it takes. You know, maybe hearkening back to that conversation he had with during about you know the elves being immortal and you know things things move faster for them than it might be for right. a dwarf so right yeah yeah <clears throat> yeah so we kind yeah, of finish so, up dinner yep and then uh we kind of find out gilgalad's intentions uh, they're kind of finally revealed um he has a conversation with elrond and can i just pause here for a second like they're really so far made Gilgalad to be kind of a jerk. Um, have you sensed that a little bit? He's he's almost channeling Thranduil a little bit, like um, in, in kind of his like pompous jerky attitude. Are, are you getting that at all? I'm not. I'm getting more okay. like so. I get what you're saying about Thranduil and like in his uh, you know maybe arrogant kind of demeanor. Yeah. But what what I'm getting from Gilgalad is concern. Um, the okay. burdens of being a king, right? Where it's like, you have to find a way to help your people to, you know, in this case, survive as we kind of talk yeah. about it. But I, I think it's, I think it's coming from more of a place of concern and, okay. you know, not I, quite I like how to proceed. Sure. I prefer that just because, you know, this is, you know, the last high king of the Naldor in Middle Earth and, he's so highly revered and so highly loved and respected, like from the standpoint of, of like Tolkien's writings and stuff. Um, I really feel like we should almost like love and like just love and admire this character. And I'm, I don't know that I feel that yet. Okay. Um, and so that maybe that's, that's where my concern lies is that I'm not, I'm not, I've maybe painted a, a grander, more, more um, like, perfected picture of him in my mind or something and i'm not getting sure. that i don't know i don't know maybe i'm just being being a weirdo but no and i think we all kind of build up those perceptions of what we would want a character to be especially when they haven't you know been brought into the big screen or even the small screen in this case so you know it's mm-hmm. it's a different portrayal than maybe one that we've built ourselves yeah and, and that that's probably more so what it is and, and quite frankly there's you know, multiple seasons that they're planning out. So I'm sure right. they want some kind of character development. So he's not just a boring character. You see him maybe kind of develop into this very loved and highly respected king or whatever. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, We'll see. M- moving on. Yes, but so, so like you said, so you, you brought it up. Gilglad's intentions, mm-hmm. they're finally revealed. Um, he wants this ore. He doesn't specifically yeah. call it Mithril because he doesn't know what it is yet, but he knows yeah. it's an ore. Um, but I really enjoyed the story. Surrounding... Oh, I hated this so much. <laughs> I loved the story of how Mithril came to be. I it's thought not that how was... Mithril came to be. Okay, this is all made well, up by Amazon. Let's let's talk about <laughs> it from the episode, and then we will hear the okay, the, yeah, the historical piece, right? So yeah. we have an elf warrior that's uh, so noble in 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 their 
so noble themselves that they they represent the Valar them and and he's battling a Balrog on you know on the mountain and the elf like puts his power into the tree to try to save the tree the the Balrog puts all of his malice and all of his anger and evil into the tree to try to destroy it and as a result the tree like you know the the power it's struck by lightning yep and the power combination goes down through the mountains, essentially creating the seams of Mithril. Yeah, sending its its like essence and power down through. But the reason why the protection of the tree, this is I think what what bugs me the most about it, is that um, it was it was said or whatever in the story that a Silmaril was in that tree, or or it was presumed to be right. So it was the yeah. lost Silmaril. Yeah, which, dumb. So we know where the, one of them gets cast into the sea, one of them's brought up into into the sky and becomes a star. That's Elrond's dad that does that, by the way. Um, and then and then the other one is is brought deep into the earth, and um, I just this idea that it's like in this tree at like the top of a mountain. I don't know. I just I'm I'm really did it say it was in the tree or did it say something near the tree presumably like in the tree or something i don't i don't know they they related the tree with the silmaril and i was just i wasn't having it. the resting place of a silmaril possibly in the earth right in the mountain well okay fine it could be in the mountain but not in the tree like i don't know i just and and so it's not even it's so that whole story it is what it is like they just wanted to create some kind of um story for 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 mithril right but then then like they go on and he basically you know gilgalad tells elrond like we're decaying like our um the the tree look at what's going happening to our tree and like right. we need to stop this decay and we think that mithril will be how we stop the decay if we can essentially bathe every elf on middle earth in its light then it will stop the decay of the elves which i'm sorry it's just dumb like that's not and this is where i get a little like whatever but that i don't even know where they're they're pulling that from like i get the whole idea that like the rings of power help to prevent the decay of time um, in like La Florian and such uh, with Nenya, um, but from from this standpoint, like it was the power of the rings, not Mithril itself, that did that. And so you know this idea that like some of the light of the Silmaril is in in the Mithril, which means that you know they say that the Silmarils captured some of the light of the two trees in Valinor. So like they're basically drawing these connection lines that you know the the mithril basically glitters with the light of the two trees, which is going to keep the elves from going into decay. And I just, I think there's, there's so many other ways and things that you could tell in this story. Like now you've essentially by, by, by telling the story and maybe it's all just made up and whatever. And it's just, cause there is a, there is a comment made where like, yeah, that story isn't even like confirmed. Like it's just kind of like a hearsay, legend whatever that we talk about that's not really you can believe like Elrond makes a comment about that to to Gilgalad and then he still recites recites it 
but um, I just if 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 in fact the elves need the mithril to to survive essentially right where so like um, that would then mean that the like the elves essentially forced the dwarves to keep mining it for them. And that's why <laughs> Hold they on. got to the ball. I've, I've got to jump in a little bit here, right? Like, come on. So what you're saying right now, like w- when I'm listening to you explain your part, I see exactly how the show could play it out in that exact manner. So right. your idea of how the elves kind of stem the tide of decay, like with Mithril, keep them stupid. Is it though? Like yes, think about how this is all dumb. playing. No, they're going to forge the elven rings out of Mithril, which is going to slow the decay of time. But it's not the Mithril that does it. So what does it? It's the power of the rings. It's and and quite frankly, the power of the rings is connected to the power of Sauron's ring. And when Sauron's ring is destroyed in the third age, the power of the other three rings, the elven rings wane in power and no longer have the power to preserve like they once did, which is why then the what are the ring eventually leave out. What do you sure. mean what are the rings? So the rings The one ring. The rings are yep. probably forged from Mithril. We never talk about what the one of them is for from. sure. Yeah. Okay, well then. no, but we do know. One of them is. I believe Nenya is forged from Mithril. I don't know if the other two are though. Okay. So in my mind, at least how I'm viewing the series currently that's just fine then. So if the rings are what stem the tide of decay and Mithril is what the rings are forged from, it makes mm. sense to me. Yeah, but they talk about how they need so much Mithril to like bathe everyone in the light of it and just... Yeah, I... but it's probably what they think they need. Like they may not even realize. And keep in mind, yeah. we haven't even gotten to the point where they forge the rings so that the rings will actually preserve the elves. And they, hey, the power of these rings being held by these elf lords stems the tide of the decay and we are able to continue on because of their power we don't need to you know quote unquote bathe each elf in the power of the light of the mithril yeah i guess maybe i'm just really upset with the concept that they are laying out right now and maybe that's why they're easily you know that they end up being deceived by anatar um, not realizing that the power is coming from essentially the essence of Sauron being poured into the one ring. Yeah, but I think there's some, some more there too, though, right? Like, it's not just Sauron in his power. Like, if he's so powerful that he could do that, like with anything, then why does he need, you know, like, I, I understand Sauron's reason, right? He creates the rings to enslave them all. But isn't that a nice counter effect that maybe the Mithril stopped the influence of Sauron over the elves? Well, we know that the the influence of Sauron over the elves was stopped because as soon as Sauron put on the one ring, they perceived him having those other rings on. So they were able to perceive him and then they basically put the rings into hiding. Very interesting. I don't know. So I don't it's, know. It's, it's, it's fun having... regardless. Yeah. It's fun to have a, a differing opinion here, but I think what was the most fun for me out of it, Josh, was sitting here listening to you and how upset you are, but actually <laughs> how your your things that you say, oh, well, it has to have this, this, and this actually completed the picture for me. And I'm like, oh, well, that makes total sense. That's why 
the mithril is you know has an imbued power in it, and that's why they have to forge but, the rings out of it. But and, that's that's why I don't like it though. Like that's that's that, the whole point. It's like I don't like it because that's where they're likely going to go with it. Yeah, I hope that they don't go that way. Honestly, I hope that they figure something else out. And the other thing is, it's like. I think you're placing a, too high a value on the mithril concept in and of itself. I think it's a byproduct of the rings ugh. of power. And I think it's a piece and why are that helps all of a sudden declining. Like what, where did that come from? I because just, I evil don't... is rising. Yeah. Evil the... is rising. And the elves, I mean, come on, it's obvious. They are complacent. We found that out in episode one, where the, the only warrior searching out evil that still feels its presence is Galadriel the elves and and I know you're my elf fanboy here but the elves are lazy they spend so much time and I suppose when you're an immortal you eventually like lose any kind of concern for anything else going on and you get complacent and you get comfortable where you no longer care for what's going on and so that's actually exactly what I see happening and now like you know they're all complacent and not paying attention being the guardians of middle earth and now evil is rising again and it's starting to show yeah perhaps i don't know we shall see i i'm not gonna quit on it i certainly am not gonna quit i'm just just convincing myself how much i like the show here okay well you you go ahead and do that (laughs) i'm just gonna sit here in my salty little puddle um because yeah i I hope that I just, like I said, like my, my main thing, and I, I know that we're going to get later into this because eventually Elrond has to go to Durin, right? Um, and, and have a discussion with him about all of this. And this, I, this idea that, you know, the survival of the elves are going to be in the hands of the dwarves. Like the, 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 the main thing that, that bugs me about it is like, the, the motivation for the dwarves to to go because you know it talks about how they they dove too too deep and too greedily into the mountain and that's what what unleashed the Balrog but mm-hmm. the narrative that they're drawing out now is almost as if well really it's kind of the elves fault because they wouldn't have had to dig up as much mithril um, if it wasn't for the elves needing it to survive so essentially let's go, blame the elves for the Balrog. If they go that way, okay. Yeah. But we all know the greediness of dwarves is a thing. And that yeah. if they figure out a way to mine it that isn't so perilous, that yeah. they would keep mining it. And maybe even we get to a point, and in, in I'm speaking into the future here, where they ignore the stone and where like they're singing prospectors like Disa tell them, no, we can't mine here. And they're like, well, nope, there's mithril here. We have to mine it. And so they do it. Without listening to the stone, so okay. to me, all right, all this kind all right, of stuff just furthers how much it's like. Okay, so we're we're building some lore here. We're building, you know, we're building more of the world, trying to help people understand the connections here. It doesn't yeah. mean it's the sole connection, right? Like, yeah. we can't blame the elves for the dwarves unleashing a Balrog. We can't, yeah. you know, say that Mithril is what saves the elves. Like, if Mithril comes into the comes into the forging of the rings it's very much an integral piece of how the elves are truly saved over the time so sure fine with that that (laughs) i don't know that's where i'm at with it right so yeah no i get it yeah so we see the tree 
we see the yep. decay. There's a yep. line um, that Super. talks about, you know, the tree is an outer manifestation of an inner reality where, you know, the, the, the light is fading inside the elves and, and we'll see. So does that mean like, that like every race has their special tree? Like it's, it's the Malorn tree in, in Linden. It's the white tree in Numenor. Like everyone's just got a special tree and when the tree starts to die, then that's indicative of the, of your culture. Like, I don't know. I'm, like, uh, I'm, me, getting, I'm getting a sense of saltiness here. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we will, we will agree to move it on. It had to that. happen at think... some point in time. <laughs> yeah. And that's fine. That's what, that's what makes for uh, good discussion. So that was good. Let's, um, let's move on. And we're, we're, as long as you're okay with that. Yes, we can move on. I, need, right. I need to be less salty. <laughs> All right. So we are back in Numenor. Yep, and the Numenorians are drinking and singing again. It seems to be a common theme of the Numenorians, and um, I don't yeah, know. I mean, I, I mean, it, is there any human race that doesn't like drinking and singing? <laughs> well, I guess the the Harfoots do too. So, well, not yeah, the Harfoots, well, and, but the Hobbits. So, you know, and I, I, let's be fair. I'm pretty sure that the dwarves like it, and the elves do too. Let's be real. There's okay. plenty of examples where they enjoy singing and and drinking whatever they they drink usually much right. stronger than what what men can brew up i mean look at thrandos halls for example right and so i think in this scene we're kind of you know to kind of summarize it all uh isildur is trying to convince one of his friends who was recently promoted to lieutenant after scoring mm-hmm. a hit against galadriel to bring him along on the expedition because yep. Ilindil says nope you have to earn your place like this isn't going to do it um so he uh his friend you know takes some some free punches at him which he offers up and he says still not gonna let you come um and then and then we cut to the ships in the harbor yeah yeah so kemen is jumping on and he's breaking open what i can only assume is alcoholic beverage i don't know like what Uh, what i I was thinking lamp oil Oh, lamp oil, that could be it. Yeah, that you would know, make so sense. So like um, a means to, uh, to to light their lamps and, and keep, yeah. keep a fire going. That would make sense. Yeah. Could be so, alcohol, but, you know, I, well, I, I, I mean, was thinking. The lamp oil, I feel like, would be a lot more explosive. Yeah. Yeah, so he goes there, and then he hears, like, sealed your cough or sneeze or something. He's like, what the heck? Who's in here with me? Yep. Um, and then. Away. Yeah, and then Isildur sees what he's doing. He's like, you can't do this, you know? So they get into a fight. Of course, in that fight, the lamp gets dropped. And, you know, we see that the fire is going to reach and start all of the, uh, all of that spilled oil or whatever it is on fire. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're like, oh, crap, we got to get out of here or we're screwed. And uh, that's when we kind of see. We see them get up onto the top of the boat. Kemen slips and then it breaks away and boom and two ships end up getting blown up yeah so you know the the main point about this whole scene is that I don't and and maybe you have some insight for me buddy but I have no idea why Kemen is trying to sabotage and scuttle a ship here once again he's just um uh, an extremist that doesn't want them to go to war I have no clue like I don't understand it either but it comes like, it comes on the heels of him having a conversation with his father, with his father about right. his grand plans for Numenor, right? Like we need right. to do this so that we can 
bring Middle Earth under our heel, essentially. Right. And then and he doesn't like Kimmon's like, oh, well, now I'm going to blow up a ship and keep you from going. So, like, yeah. it seems like Kimmon and his father, Farazan, are no longer aligned in their thought they process never, here. So, yeah. I was originally yeah, thinking weird. they were, though. Like, I thought Kimmon was kind of doing Farazan's bidding sure. and maybe trying to Being get some dirt spy. on, yeah, on Elendil's yeah. uh, family. But that's not the case. It seems like he's more in league with uh, Irian than he is with Farazan at this point. Right. And for what purpose, I still don't understand. Other than yeah. just, I don't want, I don't want Numenor to go to war. It's basically right. all I see out of this. Yep. Which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me but whatever it is what it is Um, that was kind of my big question out of the whole scene is why in the world is is kimon doing this but um yeah yeah Yeah, and then this sealdor essentially saves him because kimon slips right right and he he pulls him on the shore Mm -hmm. yeah drags him to the dock and then they make up the story about kimon was like fishing or something just yes silliness yeah so you know, there's uh, Isildur cl- clearly lies on behalf of Kimmon. Um, Which makes no and, sense to me. Probably because Kimmon would be like, well, you were on the ship trying to stow away. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's actually a Mutually assured ad. destruction. Right, yep. Yeah, that, that probably makes the most sense. So I, yeah. I'm going to roll with that. I think that's good insight. I didn't necessarily think of that yet. But, um, mm-hmm. but I think that one thing that we do get from this is that Maybe Elendil is impressed by his son that he saved, um, you know, a drowning fisherman, essentially, uh, yeah. when the ship blew up. So, you know, he did and also something Farazan's honorable. Son, so, like, a counselor's son that's right. legit. Yeah. And then we're, uh, we're at the small council kind of discussing that the ship blew up. And I think yep. the big part uh, here is that... The, oh, was it two ships? Okay. Yeah. I think the big discussion here is whether or not to proceed with the expedition that, you know, yep. clearly something's going about and, and the queen yeah, just essentially says, yeah, she wants Halbrand at the meeting in the morning because yep. if he's not they're on board, space. they're just not going to do it. Right. Yep. And then we jump back to Linden where, you know, more conversation is being had. I think this time it's Celebrimbor and Alrond, and we find yeah. out that Celebrimbor and, the, and Gilgalad were in cahoots the entire time, and they were keeping Elrond in the dark. Right. Um, about and Durin was right. The whole Mithril. reason that yeah. an elf came to Khazad-dûm was for the Mithril. Right. And so, you know, Elrond had given the Mithril to him to kind of figure out what it is. And then he, this is, you know, what I mentioned earlier, where he believes it could save the elves. And I just, um, you know, you know, the story of Elrond's father being a mortal man who convinced the gods to fight for them. Mm-hmm. Like that, that was fine. That was, that held up. That was legit. Um, but once again, it's just this whole idea of, of, you know, Keller Brimbor, from what I can remember, like his whole purpose of, of wanting to create and like the rings and all of that stuff was because he was trying to capture and create the beauty of Valinor on Middle Earth. It wasn't about saving the elven race. It was about literally like making Middle Earth or parts of Middle Earth like Valinor that beautiful. You know, I mean, he's a d- direct descendant of um, Fanor who brought the Silmarils, right? Like he's like the grandson or something. So like he's 
he very much wants to like follow in those footsteps to create beauty mm-hmm. um, from smithing. And so that's, I think that's where it's like, okay, like we went from just like wanting to create beauty to like, oh, we're like in some kind of like, we have to save ourselves mode. It, yeah, it just, but you can't create, the elves can't uh, create beauty if they're no longer in Middle Earth to do so. So yeah, no, I, I, I would view I that being that, some but... real motivation on the behalf of Killebrimbor. Yeah, I guess I do. Yes, Josh doesn't like it. I don't. I really don't. That's all right. Well, we can we can continue on. I think that pretty much summarizes that piece of Linden, and we'll move off the mithril topic for now. So Josh's yes. head doesn't explode. <laughs> you're you're very kind, sir. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, and hey, we're back in Numenor again. Woo, Numenor. So this time, Galadriel has a come-to-Jesus moment with uh, Halbrandt because mm-hmm. he's not playing into the role that she wants him to be in. And um, they kind of have a little tiff here, like basically accusing each other of using each other, which they totally were. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and and then they kind of have, uh, they, they get to that point, and then they start having this heart-to-heart about, you know, what is going on, how he survived, not proud of what he's done. And we alluded to this earlier, but yeah. you know, if, if, if they knew what he did, the, the people of Southlands wouldn't want him back. And then, you know, they kind of, he kind of finds out that, you know, what, what is it that you want to help so bad? And like, why do you want to return to Southlands? Why do you want to fight the orcs? And like, you kind of learn that it's essentially vengeance for Galadriel, or at least well, that's how he sees it. That's how he sees it. Right. And then he yeah. says, this is about vengeance. And, and I really enjoyed that because Galadriel follows that up with one cannot satisfy thirst by drinking salt water, essentially saying that, you know, vengeance is not going to make things better for her. And then we finally get this insight into Galadriel about why she's doing what she's doing. And it, and we've been wrong since the beginning too, right? Like we've like, she's Mm -hmm. on a quest of vengeance to, to avenge her brother um, for Sauron killing him and it's actually not the case at all maybe it started that way but mm-hmm. now she has been on this path for so long that her own kin can't distinguish her from the evil that she's been hunting like she's yeah. so obsessed with it she's essentially become you know evil in in her kin's eyes yeah yeah they decided that they needed to ship her off uh, because right. they thought by removing her, that would stem the the tide and stem the decay that was going on that they they saw happening in Linden. So I just I I really enjoyed this whole moment um, and this understanding that we get from Galadriel. Really made me like appreciate her character even more. And I just I really like loved the, this this piece about her that you know like. She's doing this not for vengeance at this point, but to almost like make herself whole again. Yeah. And I, I really do like that too, because it's definitely some like major, you're, you're seeing her character develop. I mean, yeah. you think about what we see Galadriel as like in the Lord of the Rings and you see her now and she's kind of a little like reckless almost, we would say, we would say sure. about her right mm-hmm. now, but you kind of see her, you see some of the reasons behind that now and you kind of see her developing. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's not just, Oh, I'm, I'm just hell bent on killing the person that killed my brother. It's there's, there's more to it. Right. Yeah. It's that she can't truly find peace 
until she can beat him. And it's not a matter of vengeance. It's a matter of making herself whole and like almost redeeming herself. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. But I mean, I think that that, that whole piece really spoke to Halbred. Halbrand. I keep calling him Halbred, but um, Halbrand. <laughs> and, yep. um, and, you know, she challenges him, like, you also need to find peace. You're running from your past and yep. you have to face it. So yep. kind of lays down the gauntlet there, right? And puts his, his pouch with uh, the emblem of the, the people of the Southland on it and gives it back to him, like, laying down the gauntlet. Let's go. You need to meet with the queen in the morning. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And uh, she, you know, gives him his pouch back, a little emblem, like you said, and we move on to the Southlands. Yes. So we get to the Southlands and the group of, of uh, townspeople, village people, whatever you want to call them, basically make it to Adar and the orcs. And Waldreg yep. is up front and he basically wants to pledge his allegiance to Sauron. Right. And so Even he's says like down that, on right? one knee. Yeah. Straight up says, I pledge my allegiance to Sauron. Yeah. And then and then Adar like gets mad, smacks him. Um, and he's like, Are you not Sauron? <laughs> like, what's going on? <laughs> right. And I guess are you, if you're not Sauron, I'll still serve you. <laughs> you're Sauron, are you not? Because well, even if you're not, I pledge my loyalty to you then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get this brutal moment. Uh yeah. Where where Adar, you know, takes uh Rowan. Who, who we know and have kind of had this like kind of developing arc um, with his character. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but and essentially, easily. And he essentially tells Waldreg that, um, you know, you, you, you have to, uh, you want to bind yourself to me. There's only one way to do it and it's through blood. Yeah. So essentially here's a knife. Yep. Kill this boy and prove yep. your loyalty. Yep. And we never actually see the act take place. So we don't necessarily no, we don't. know, but so it's we, certainly we, implied. Yep. We don't know what's going to happen. It certainly implies that that's what he's going to do, but it'll be, it's kind of interesting because it, it cuts away. You see the fear in Walder, um, in um, Rowan's eyes though. Yep. And um, it definitely implies that that's what he did, but we don't, right. we don't know for sure. Kind of because, you know, like when you would think the knife strike would take place, uh, Theo shoots an arrow into a door. So it's kind of like, you yeah. know, maybe we don't know yet. Right. So, well, we'll I mean, kinda... it is it is TV fourteen, so we're not going to see a kid's ah fair uh, point broke it get slit. Well, where is that? We so I guess we can only see an elf throat get slit. Well, yeah, I guess you're right on that one. I don't know, but an orc was doing it. It wasn't human. human. <laughs> I mean, I know that that sounds silly. Exceptions but that, for TV ratings <laughs> that would make a difference. I think you know when it's human to human or even elf to elf. But when you have like an orc or something doing something evil, that's that's expected, you know. Right. I think it's a little more, uh, it's a little harsher when you see like human to human violence like that. But that's just, that's that. just me. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. All right. So then we have Theo practicing his archery mm -hmm. here, and Aaron Deer, you know, maybe having a, having a moment here with Theo finally, you know, like where yeah, hey, I like your mom, and I'm gonna come and <laughs> have a moment with you as well. But it's it's more of a an admiration. Yeah. Can I be uh, your immortal here. stepdad or <laughs> 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 kidding? Well, 
he breaks the ice really well by telling him how much he respects him, right? That it only took yeah. him 14 years to build up the courage to stand um, yeah. and serve versus himself that it took hundreds of years. Right, right. Um, and so he, he says that, and, you know, he really kind of bolsters Theo up a little bit. And, and then Theo kind of, you know, breaks down and shares with him about the hilt. Yeah, yep. Finally, he, he opens up and says, here here it is. And, and, and this, is a, this is a familiar sight to Aaron yep. He's seen this before. Yeah. And, and then he reveals it almost immediately. Right. It's a carving in the wall of the tower. So that kind of makes me wonder, like, this tower wasn't built by the elves. No, it was not. It was built by servants of Sauron. It would appear so, yeah. Right. I mean, and really, when you look at it, you look at how it was built. There's no way that elves built that. It wasn't pretty enough. Yeah, yeah, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> so, yep. So we see um, a very clear representation of the hilt uh, in its full sword form that's being plunged into a, a man. And yep. the sword is plunged through him and like the water's trickling out, maybe, you know, representative of blood, who knows. But, um, but yeah, so there's that whole piece and Aaron Deer kind of tells us what it is, right? And it's a key. It's a key to enslave the people of the Southlands. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. What is it a key to though? So, okay, it's a key to enslave the people of the Southlands, but what does it unleash? What does yeah. it unlock? So, so that's, that's, you know, that's what he calls it. The episode before it, Waldreg calls it a power, uh-huh. um, you know, a power from the beautiful servant himself uh, for right. the people of the Southland. So, it's, you know, it's the two sides, right? It's like how, how evil is going to portray it to convince the Southlands to, you know, serve evil versus what like the elf sees it as is like this key that basically helps to enslave them. So it's very interesting. Right. Yeah, and so just kind of speed this up a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. So Aaron Deer talks to Bronwyn and kind of they have a, some discussion back and forth, and Bronwyn seems to have lost all hope at this point. And yeah, she just no wants to throw in the towel, and yep, I'm going to – well, let's just bring the hilt to, to Adar and, and let's serve him because that's how – we're basically bound to do that. Like, we have no choice. That's our fate. It's our lot in life. And right. uh, Arandir's like, yeah, no, there's there's another way so long as you decide that there's another way. Right. Yep. And then we see the, the legions marching towards the tower. Yep. And then, you know, they she says the tower will fall. And I feel like there was a light bulb moment. Did you see that as well? Oh, like, yeah. Yep. The tower will fall. And then they're like looking up at it. So um, I'm willing to bet that they're going to rig some kind of trap and try to just bury a bunch of orcs. But that's just. Oh, for sure. Yep, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Yep. Yep. So uh, we get done with that, and then we jump back into Linden, and you know the it's Durin and Elrond kind of walking down, and the the elves are carrying the big stone table in front of them, and kind of trip with it, and you know Durin makes a a joke, tells tells Elrond the truth that you know he was lying about the table, and Disa just wanted a new table. <laughs> I thought that was super funny. Yeah, this was our chuckling moment earlier uh, when we were talking about this, right? Where it's like, yep, yep this was just a, a whole, like, you know, I'm in charge here. I've got to take the authority. And hey, I just got a new table out of the deal. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's kind of comical. And then Duren's like, 
you know, the table's not that heavy. Like, what's on your mind? Like, what's the problem, you know? And so yeah. then Elrond finally tells Durin the truth, you know, basically saying, you know, um, I didn't know it, but I was coming for Mithril, uh, just like yeah. you had said. And tells him about how, you know, his people will diminish and basically just kind of fade away. They won't die. They'll just kind of fade away, which is accurate. Like, if an elf were to linger on, especially in Middle-earth for so long, like, they eventually would wear out their body to the point where they're just invisible. Is, is what my, yeah, what my understanding is. So, I, 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 they at least were kind of right from that standpoint. So, there's that. Yep. Um, so, then they basically get into this thing where Dern's like, so what you're saying is that the fate of the entire elven race is in my hands. Whose hands? Yeah, who's hands in Durin's hands and makes Elrond repeat that. Um, and so he kind just of chuckles Just reveling in the moment. Yeah, it just revels in the moment. But at the same time, there's really no doubt that he's going to help his friend and he's going to help the elves. So right. it kind of like, you know what, Durin, you're a stand-up dude. Like, yeah. Even even if you're a little mischievous and you totally just like stole a table, um, you're still, you know, you're not going to let them fall into decay. So, right. It's it's interesting and, and and a nice story between friends. Yep, nice little moment there. Uh, and then Elrond and then you got says, creepy Gilgalad standing off in the in the distance, basically watching it. <laughs> That's not really explained at all. He's just hanging out there, like, right? Just yep, just creeping out. Uh, he's know. probably just ticked off that uh, he just got had in his tables <laughs> with the table. Yeah, that's it. He's just ticked him <laughs> off the table. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that's funny. Really, really good there. So, yep. So that that's a lot of fun, and that takes us to our our final location of the episode. Yep, back to Numenor. Right. So we kind of open this up, and we got Halbrand, um, kind of like clearly sitting there in thought, right? And yep. he tosses his pouch down on the table, and it almost makes you think like, you know, he, he very much seems to have the determination to go somewhere, but he throws yep. the pouch down on the table. And I, you know, maybe this is kind of like a symbolism for, you know, I'm throwing my past behind me and I'm moving forward, but he throws the pouch on the table, walks out, but somebody grabs that pouch. And I can't help but think that there's something behind this very obviously. Yeah, so otherwise they wouldn't I, have showed us. Right. I couldn't tell though. Here's, here's my question is, he walks out of the screen. So you don't actually see where he is in relation to the table. Did he kind of like step out of the screen and that's just his hand, like going back to grab it um, as he goes to see the queen or is it someone following up behind him? I think it's the way that they shot him. I know, but the way they shot that scene, like I feel like it could be either or it could be, which maybe they want because they want that mystery. Yeah. My theories around this are, it's either Galadriel not letting him leave whatever is in there behind or in that, you know, it's, it's, it's a piece of him and he needs to have it with him. Or we've mm-hmm. got Kimmon jumping back in and maybe stealing something, or maybe this yeah. is kind of a furthering of the story for either Kimmon or Irion. I don't know. Maybe those are, those are my theories. Yeah. I like it. Definitely some mystery there though. Something to, yep. to kind of learn about. Yeah. So, you know, they he basically goes to the queen and, you know, yep, I'll go with you, whatever. And then we get this long 
kind of closeout scene where everyone starts showing up in their pretty armor and yep. Halbrand's got nice new armor made and uh, clearly the Numenorians made some stuff for Galadriel because uh, she definitely didn't have that from jumping out of the ship to Numenor. Right. And she looks really cool though. Like when she came onto the ship, I was like, oh yeah, like let's go. Like I was, I was pretty pumped about it. I thought she looked really awesome in her, in her uh, armor. As, as were all the men of Numenor look staring at her. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just starstruck. Xenon, yeah. the warrior princess is back. Love it. I've been about it yep. since the beginning. So I know I that know. you've uh, had your reservations, but yep, I'm pumped. <laughs> and and Isildur, Isildur has joined the expedition. Yep. Yep. Isildur is there. He's uh, going to be uh, sweeping up some pool. Yeah. I mean, as any, as any good member of the Calvary would be, right? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. The stable so suite. Yep. The stable suite. So that's, that's kind of fun. Um, he made it on, but he's still got to work his way up, up the yeah. ranks, uh, which is fun. And a um, parenting moment for Elindil, uh, teaching yep. his son some humility. Yep, definitely. And one, this is really not anything to do with the story, but the aesthetic of some of the armor. Uh, mm. Did you not love Elendil's helmet? Did it not kind of remind you of a certain guard in oh, yeah. Gondor? The, the guard of the fountain court. Yeah, much yeah. smaller wings, but very, very mm -hmm. uh, uh, similar aesthetically. Yeah, the, right, the... which is what we would expect, right? We, mm -hmm. the Gondor and Arnor should be a reflection of the glory of Numenor. So. Right. And then an, even another part of that, too, was I, I was seeing a lot of similarities between the Calvary and Rohan. Um, the, yeah. the horse hair coming out of the top and even just the stylizing of the helms looked very mm -hmm. Rohan Royal Guard to me. But, you know, we know that Rohan doesn't show up here and, you know, they're not for a long ways down the road, but certainly maybe some origins. Uh, and I like that they're using a similar thing. Yeah. And like kind yeah. of the, the props and the armor and it just it's really, really nice. I'm 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 really enjoying how uh how well they've done from like a costume standpoint. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think that they're they're really cool. I really like them. Fun to see. Um one of the things and once again this is maybe it will be explained at some point in time, but you notice at the end of this scene here, because we're we're basically at the end here, um yeah. only three ships go sailing. So apparently Numenor doesn't even have enough spare ships that they can't replace the two that blew up. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't quite understand that aspect of it where like they have to take volunteers and I can maybe understand the volunteer standpoint because they want people that are actually on board with this plan to go. It may not be very popular to send their army or their Navy or whatever, but then this idea that they don't even have the resources to like send two new ships that aren't exploded. I don't know. I just, there's things like that, that I just, don't quite understand yet because Numen are supposed to be so grand and so strong right. and there are aspects of it of this where it's not really being portrayed that way and and maybe because they want us to see Numenor become this strong empire maybe maybe that's why I don't I honestly don't know it's just rather interesting to me so I guess we'll kind of see um, in future episodes and down the road how they portray that but it was yeah. just something that I noted. I was just like, really? Like, they didn't even replace the two ships that blew up? Like, what's going on? Yeah, a fair, a fair insight, you know, and, and definitely agree with you. We'll kind of have to see. Maybe they are looking at just kind of like uh, showing the growth of Numenor here versus its 
great power and grandeur, but, um, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, definitely something we'll, we'll figure out and, and see in, in future episodes. And once again, it's just things that keep me watching. Right. I mean, not that right. I was ever going to quit watching. I mean, I'm not that upset about the whole mithril origin story, but I don't like it. doesn't mean I'm going to stop watching the show or stop enjoying it. Right. Like I'm just going to enjoy it for what it is. So. Fair enough. That's that. That's that. Yeah. All right. Well, well, let's uh, let's take another break here, Josh, and then we'll we'll come back with our outro. Sounds like a plan, man. All right, and we're back to finish off this fifth episode of muster the bro Hurum, taking a look at the fifth episode of the rings of power and uh nick i think it got a little uh a little spirited uh i'm just trying to you know wipe the salt off here <laughs> I, I got a got a little little bit a uh, little bit salty i'll admit um but i think it was fun it was a fun discussion and uh it doesn't change change my excitement and my love for the show um, I, if anything, I'm, I'm more passionate to see where it goes from here, I would say. Well, good. I mean, I, I actually really enjoyed the discussion. You know, I like not being on the same page about everything. And the funny thing for me, Josh, on this one is that your expression of why you didn't like it only reinforced why I did. Because when you <laughs> explained kind of the lore behind some of this, like the elves staying and the forging of the rings and how it helped them. To me, it was like, okay, well, I can connect the dots through all this and I'm good with that. And hey, now I just like it even more. <laughs> sure, of course. Uh, that's funny how that, how that kind of works out. But uh, I mean, that's okay. I mean, it means that we can all have, you know, differing opinions and uh, still enjoy something together, right? Yes. Yep, absolutely. So it was a lot of fun. Really good discussion. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was a lot of fun. And I think that uh, it would be really fun to hear what others think too, don't you? I totally agree, especially after our first episode of maybe not just, uh, you know, talking about the wonders of this show, but maybe a little bit of dissent. What do you, what do our listeners think? You know, hit us up on our Muster the Bro Hiram uh, Facebook page uh, or drop a review on our podcast and let us know what do you guys think about this how are what are your feelings about Mithril and the tie to uh, you know the elves the elven race survival we, we want to hear what you think jump in on the discussion yeah absolutely so like you said on Facebook the other spot that you can you know join in on the conversation is just by leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform that you are listening to us on. Um, We'll definitely read those reviews and uh, hopefully they come along with five stars. Uh, But that's, that's up to you guys, obviously. And uh, we do appreciate any, any amount of um, communication, stuff like that from you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Give us your feedback. Well, I think that pretty much wraps us up here for this episode. I think that we can get going and uh, look forward to our next episode coming up once we see the sixth episode from the Rings of Power. What do you say, Nick? That sounds great. All right. Sounds good. Well, for all of you out there, I'm Josh. And I'm Nick. And this was Muster the Broherum. <laughs>